you're tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonca. Joyce Miller returns on Tuesday. With all eyes on Scotland as the UN Climate Conference continues, the California reports Saul Gonzalez boards the train between LA and San Diego to look at stretches of the coastline and its infrastructure most threatened by rising seas. The California News Service shares a story about a contingent of local government officials from California who are headed to Glasgow to share what American cities and counties are doing to reduce greenhouse gases. And after regional news and weather, we'll listen to this week's Bravehearts and close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Many California children ages 5 to 11 have started getting the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Some counties started offering it soon after the vaccine got the green light from the Western State Scientific Safety Review Workgroup yesterday. In Los Angeles alone, more than 900,000 school-aged children are now eligible for the shot. From L.A., KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports. Children as young as five can now get vaccinated against the coronavirus. Local health officials say shots will start going into little arms this week. Almost 150,000 doses have been disseminated across vaccine sites in the county, with more on the way. Like the adult version, the pediatric Pfizer vaccine is given in two shots three weeks apart. It's also smaller, containing one-third of the adult dose. FDA officials say there were virtually no severe adverse effects related to the vaccine in clinical trials and that it's a whopping 90% effective at preventing COVID infection. Across the U.S., more than 8,000 kids between 5 and 11 have been hospitalized with COVID-19 and nearly 100 have died, making COVID a leading cause of death among young children. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti has tested positive for COVID-19 while in Scotland for the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Speaking to KABC-TV in L.A. yesterday, Mayor Garcetti says he's isolating in his hotel room and is feeling good. I've been taking daily antigen tests. In fact, took two today that came back negative. But when a PCR test, which is more sensitive and can sometimes tell you if you are going to be getting sick, probably not infectious, Uh, It will trigger a positive sometimes, and the protocol is to immediately isolate, and if it's confirmed that it's positive, to isolate for 10 days. Mayor Garcetti had been planning to fly back to Los Angeles today, but that will be delayed. He's attending the conference with about seven staff members who have all tested negative for COVID-19. And according to the White House, Mayor Garcetti did not have any interactions with President Biden, who also was in attendance. This week, we've brought you interviews about that big UN climate conference in Glasgow, Scotland, and California's role in it. But we wanted to bring the topic home, make it more tangible, and take you somewhere that's directly threatened by our planet's changing climate and things like sea level rise. So, very early one recent morning, I caught a train. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard. This is your cafe car attendant. The cafe is located... So I've come aboard Amtrak's Pacific Surfliner, which connects downtown Los Angeles and downtown San Diego. It's about a three-hour trip, and it can be incredibly scenic, particularly as the train runs along the coastline. It's also a great way to see how climate change threatens the coast 
and all the things that human beings have built along the coastline over the past several decades. That built environment threatened by rising seas includes oceanfront homes, roads, piers, power plants, and this very train I'm riding on. In September, both Amtrak and a commuter rail line had to suspend service on part of this route for a couple of weeks. Emergency repairs were needed because beach erosion, partly attributed to climate change, threatened the tracks. You know, the coastline is a super dynamic place naturally. That's Rick Bell, a professor of geological sciences at Cal State Long Beach. He says even in normal times, California's coast can be a tricky place to build things and keep them safe. The coastline itself is actually a very mobile, dynamic feature. It's, you know, it's where everything comes together, the, the ocean, the atmosphere, the land, the rivers. It's constantly changing. And climate change, says Bell, really supercharges those changes, making storms stronger, tides higher, and coastal erosion of beaches and cliffs worse. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, we're now arriving at San Juan Capistrano Station, San Juan Capistrano. And you can really see how rising seas and eroding coasts could threaten this train route and everything around it as we travel through South Orange County and into North San Diego County. The train track comes really close to the Pacific Ocean here. You feel like you can almost touch the water. It's a spectacular view, but it also shows how vulnerable this train and nearby homes and infrastructure are to climate change. Now, get off the train and walk the beaches in a town like San Clemente or Oceanside, and you can see how people have responded so far to the threat. Sea walls have been built in front of many homes, and giant boulders have been placed between the ocean and the train tracks in a lot of places. But in the long term, geologist Rick Bell says such coastal armoring actually makes erosion worse by starving the beach of new sources of sand. It increases the energy on the beach, causes more erosion, drops the sand, and so there really is no beach left. Looking ahead, Bell says Californians will likely face the daunting and expensive challenge of moving some homes and critical infrastructure, including parts of this train route away from the coast. That's called planned retreat. Bell also says we have to stop thinking about sea level rise as something that's happening so slowly, we just don't have to worry about it yet. He says big changes to our coast could come dramatically fast. Beach erosion, cliff retreat is not a gradual process. It's episodic. So that when someone says, oh, that's long in the future, far in the future, it may be or it may not be. And when it happens, it's going to be some catastrophic events, some big events that will cause a lot of damage all at once. As I watch the California coastline pass by from the comfort of my train seat, remembering Bell's comments made the million-dollar views of the water on a gorgeous morning a lot more unsettling. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. SF MoMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
Kaplan's philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And that is the California Report for Thursday, November 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Up ahead, we'll look at regional news and weather. But first, Suzanne Potter of the California News Service speaks with former mayor of Santa Monica, Pam O'Connor. This week, a contingent of local government officials from California and across the U.S. is headed to the U.N. Conference on Climate Change in Glasgow, Scotland. The group is focused on sharing what American cities and counties are doing to reduce greenhouse gases and learn best practices from around the world. Pam O'Connor is a former mayor of Santa Monica and vice chair of the group Local Governments for Sustainability. She says she's glad the U.S. is re-engaging on climate change after former President Donald Trump pulled the nation out of the Paris Agreement in 2019. The United States is back. States has plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to 50 to 52 percent by 2030. We want to be a partner with our federal government in achieving that goal. O'Connor says California can serve as a model for other regions. Cities across the Golden State are greening their fleets of cars, buses, maintenance, and trash trucks. Many have started municipal power companies that provide electricity from renewable sources. And last year, Governor Gavin Newsom issued an executive order to phase out gas-powered vehicles. O'Connor says the leaders at the climate conference also need to keep equity in mind worldwide. We need to be working to ensure that countries that are not as developed are able to get the support and finance that they need to be able to grow in a way that is not building without any thought as to the impact on climate. On Tuesday, world leaders reached an agreement to limit deforestation. The conference will continue until next Friday. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Welcome, everyone. On behalf of the Save Our Bridge Campaign Committee, we are so glad you were all able to join us today. Well, folks, we did it. We saved our bridge. Today, California State Parks celebrated the official reopening of the historic Bridgeport Covered Bridge in the South Yuba River State Park. The bridge was closed for repairs in 2011 after a timber survey revealed significant structural damage from previous flooding. Supported by State Parks, Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, the County of Nevada, the South Yuba River Citizens League, and the Nevada County Regional Chamber of Commerce, plus private citizens and elected officials, the Save Our Bridge campaign gained the attention, support, and eventual $6.9 million funding to rehabilitate this treasured landmark. I spoke briefly to one of many speakers in attendance, Senator Brian Dolly. Oh, it's so awesome to just um, see history basically restored and to carry it on. And, you know, the community and all the volunteers and then, you know, obviously the legislature helped out with some resources and I mean, it's a wonderful day. It's, it's been a long time in the making, and I got elected in 2000 and 2012, uh, and here we are, 2021. That lo- that's how long it takes with everything working supposedly the way it should. So very good, nice, bipartisan working group in, the, in Sacramento to help bring the resources, of, and it's, it's just beautiful. It's a great day. 
It's wonderful that there's something that we can all agree on, right? Yeah, absolutely. So a piece of history that, um, you know, I think there was another one uh, in the United States, but I don't think it, I think this is the last one. And so to preserve this for future generations is, um, it's worth doing. And here's Thule, one of the first and maybe the youngest person to walk across the historic span today. How does it feel to be a, the first one across the bridge? Good. What do you like about the bridge? Um, I like that it has a roof and it has windows. Mm-hmm. Have you been waiting a long time to cross? Yes. Yeah, have you been pretty excited? Mm-hmm. What would you say to other kids that haven't crossed it yet? It's a really nice bridge to cross. Turning now to regional weather, in Nevada City, Grass Valley, mostly clear tonight with a low around 43, then tomorrow mostly cloudy with a high of 61. There's a chance of showers on Saturday. In Truckee Tahoe, mostly clear tonight with a low of 29. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high of 57. And our friends in Sacramento will be seeing increasing clouds tonight with a low of 47. Tomorrow, possible patchy fog in the morning, otherwise mostly cloudy with a high of 65. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. You're listening to the eighth and final episode of Braveheart's Betty Louise in conversation with social worker Kelly Gallagher, Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard, and Grass Valley Police Officer Jonathan Brown. The city of Grass Valley was awarded over half a million dollars in partnership with the nonprofit Hospitality House to target services for people who are unsheltered, mentally ill, and addicted, according to the Board of State and Community Corrections. The money is part of the California Violence Intervention and Prevention Grant. Hospitality House originally introduced the Peace Officers and Standards Training Curriculum, encouraging de-escalation and an awareness of mental health challenges, particularly in the homeless community. As part of the program, social workers and police officers respond to calls and engage with the community together as partners. The program began October 1, 2020 and ends December 31st, 2023. As the last segment in this detailed discussion, the group reflects on successes seen by Gallagher and Brown, and the differences and similarities between other de-escalation programs throughout the U.S. Well... I could keep going, but I'm going to respect your time here. Any last thoughts, though, about the program, about how you guys feel like it's running and the successes you've seen, any stories? I mean, just any last thoughts? We could also keep going for hours. (laughs) Um, We've had some very good successful stories, yes. Like just the full gamut from people that didn't want to give us the time of day at the beginning to, you know, a couple months later when they call us their guardian angels or... 
you know, we get them into somewhere that they have that permanent support of housing, no longer off the street, dignity is kind of returned and they, you know, get reintegrated with society and community. So those are the exciting ones, you know, when we live for those and you have to kind of see that in everybody, give them that opportunity. I really look forward to seeing where this goes. Is there any other program like this that you know of? There's a few in different, I think Seattle has a social work. They vary. Like this one specifically targets homeless people. Some of them, like the county, right, they have the crisis intervention team. He's a social worker as well. But it's kind of a different population, kind of everybody. It's More not of a crisis, crisis reaction yeah. um, and an intervention model. Also, though, reaching people. So the county sheriff's office has co-staffed car between a sheriff's deputy and a social worker that is focused mostly on behavioral health crisis. Mm -hmm. And so it's more of a crisis intervention thing. It also has a tremendous value. I think we're going to see more of that. Um, if you look at like in Eugene, Oregon, their CAHOOTS program, it's actually taken. It, I'd say that one's more of a morph between the two that I just, you know, between what we're doing here and what the sheriff's office is doing, but it's actually removed the law enforcement component as a primary response. And it's mm -hmm. more of a EMS and private enterprise venture where they're going out and doing this proactive work. Some of the counties down in the North Bay, Santa Rosa area are doing kind of a police department employed social worker, but not paired with an officer. So there's a number of different models, but mm -hmm. I think what we need to remember is each community is unique and what mm -hmm. works for a community is where it's not a one size fits all mm -hmm. based on the resources you have in your community. So as our community evolves, I think you're going to see these programs evolve too. Well, I just am so thankful that you all are doing this work and that you care so much and really appreciate your time today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. The world, as you know, is a ludicrous place, especially when it comes to humans. Right now there's a big meeting going on in Scotland called COP26. Many world leaders have gathered to try to figure out how to slow down the ravages of climate crisis while still letting big companies make money. You and I know this is impossible, but we are mere spectators and therefore still have some objectivity. I thought COP might stand for Climate Over Profit or Cherish Our Planet, and 26 meant the year 2026, so things would happen quickly. But no such luck. It's the 26th meeting of the Conference of the Parties, referring to everyone who signed a treaty in 1994 to, and I quote, prevent dangerous human interference with the climate system, end quote. This hasn't worked out so far, you may have noticed. Glasgow this week is filled with representatives from 190 countries, along with, I quote again, tens of thousands of negotiators, agencies, businesses, and citizens who are going to try to reach agreement on how to tackle climate change across the globe. I am feeling sorry for the locals and hoping everyone tips well, though it's a faint hope. 
I don't mean to be snide and pessimistic. Good things may emerge from this summit. But as you know from the last argument you had with your own neighbor about whatever it was, noise levels, property lines, all the leaves from his maple that you have to rake off your lawn, reaching agreement isn't always simple or even possible. Plus, let's be frank, the ship of slowing down climate change sailed at least a decade ago and has already sunk. Just ask Al Gore. Al is in Scotland, of course, and Greta, Joe Biden, Prime Minister Mia Motley of Barbados, concerned more than most about sea level rise, and Prince Charles. Not Vladimir Putin or the President of China, which tells you something. Lately, I've been writing a book about people living a modest life in 1875. One of my poems describes a woman taking her husband's shirt apart and putting it back together with the reverse side of the fabric facing out so it will last longer. This was called turning the seams and routinely practiced by people without many resources. I'm thinking of this because there's so much current buzz in the media about female celebrities wearing a dress twice. We already know the clothing industry produces more waste than many others, not to mention is frequently busted for unfair labor practices. Kate Middleton and Angelina Jolie are tracked so closely that the occasion and year when they last wore a garment are easy to find. Recycling from their wardrobes in this way is touted as a sign that they care about the planet. Pardon me while I barf into the shrubbery. This is what I mean by ludicrous. Prince Charles brought his wife Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, to Glasgow. Her shoes, no doubt, cost more than your rent or mortgage payment, but she was praised in many reports for wearing not a previously worn dress, mind you, but a new dress that had used buttons recycled from one of her old ones. What sanctimonious horse twaddle! Reuse your buttons. That will definitely help save the planet. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That concludes our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30 p.m. You can listen to this broadcast and others, plus extended versions of our interviews and stories, on our website, kvmr.org, or on our podcast. This station gets support from listeners just like you and from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And Hanson Brothers Enterprises, since 1953, offering bulk and bagged soils, amendments, and fertilizers for gardening needs. 
Also, excavation, paving, underground utilities, and site work services for public, private, and commercial enterprises. GoHBE.com. Coming up in the next half hour, Mark Cunaberti shares his thoughts about hyperinflation and the 10-year T-note. Then, at 7, we bring you Democracy Now!, followed by Jazz Workshop with Charles Athill at 8. Thank you for listening. I'm Claudio Mendonça. We'll see you tomorrow.